This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Start. It says, when it talks about the animals, those that are um, they're missing something, it says, there is the shafan. Kimala Gerahu, because it chews its cud, Uparsalu Yafris, but it doesn't have split hooves. Tummy Ulachem, so it's tummy for you. That's Arneves, the next Pasuk says, and the Arneves. Kimala's Gerahi, Uparsalu Ifrisa, it also chews its cud, and it doesn't have split hooves. Tummy Ulachem, so it's gonna be tummy. So out of those three animals, we didn't mention the Gamal, the camel obviously is first, but there's the camel, there's the Shafun, there's the Arneves, and then there's the Chazir, the pig. Those are the four animals that have one of the simanim, but not both, that require, that you require in order to become tahor, in order to become, to be able to be eaten. These four animals don't have it. So here's what we're not going to do. We are not going to define what these animals are. And why not? Because simply put, I'm giving this year and I just don't want to. So I'll tell you what the other Meforshim say, I may give you some Rishonim Achronim, I may give you some people that are going to say th- some things about this, but I have no desire whatsoever to stoop to the level of those who try to, I don't know, get into the dumb arguments about this animal is this and this animal is that. I just don't care enough. That's not what I'm trying to do over here. So just to put this out there, this sheer <coughs> is going to be entirely about Chazal. It's going to be entirely about what Chazal want from this animal, what it's supposed to learn out about these, from these animals, and that's it. So nothing else from that, that's the idea behind it. So no other issues when it comes to that. I'm sorry? I normally love animals. Yeah, I love animals. I'm going to. I'm just not going to love it in the way that I'm going to tell you here's what it is. I just want everybody to know this is not going to be like one of those where it's going to be like, science is love. I'm not going to do that. It's just not going to happen. We're going to try to learn something and try to get something out of the shuffle, okay? Now, I translated on your sheets, the word shuffle is the word hyrax, and the our nevis is a rabbit. The rock hyrax is what it's referring to. And that rabbit, I just did a random rabbit, hare, whatever it is. Now, I did, did that based on Rav Aryeh Kaplan and what he writes in the Living Torah. He understands the Shavan to be a hyrax based on the Pesukim and Tehillim and Kovdala, that's Borchinafshi, where it says they live on the rocks. And also a Mishlein, Paraglamid. He also suggests, suggests like types of rabbits or jerboas, which is a little type of a rodent, whatever. The hare, he decides, he, that, he says is an Angora rabbit that has some type of thing that regurgitates its food in the early morning, whatever it is, that's what he ends up saying. That's Rav Aryeh Kaplan. Rav Hirsch, translated into English by Rabbi Daniel Haberman, don't know the status of Rabbi Haberman, if it's even a rabbi, he says that he says it's a rabbit and a hare, but then he says it's very difficult or impossible to say such a thing that it's a rabbit and a hare because these animals don't chew their cud. It's very difficult to say that these animals are animals that chew their cud and to say that that's the definition of what the Shuffan and the Arnevis is since it doesn't look like they chew their cud. And the truth is that it doesn't really say that. Now, on that, Rav Hertz in his Pentateuch, the Sansino Chumash that everybody used to see in Shoals and now they're not there anymore because it's not cool enough and it's like the original translated into English type of thing. You'll see when you go into like, I don't know, like Nashville and you go into their Shoal and you'll be like, oh my gosh, they got something there and they have something inside there, Right. He says that they're like ruminants, these types of animals, these rabbits and these hyraxes. And the reason why is the following. They move their jaws as if they're chewing their cud. They're not actually chewing their cud, meaning the food is not going into the stomach compartments, the rumen, right, in order to go back out and then come back 
right, into the stomach compartments in order to chew their cut and go through. That's right. It doesn't do something like that, but it looks like they do because they're always chewing. Since there's always something in its mouth, it practices something called psychotrophy, which means that it's two different types of dung. There's a type of dung that's just a little pellet. The pellet it doesn't eat, that's actual dung. And the other one is like this soft little thing that has lots of tissue inside there as well as vitamin D and other minerals that it might need. So it chews that and brings it back. He says, the way he understands it is, who knows, maybe that's also, says the Pentateuch, it's possible that it's a very liberal meaning of malagera. And the truth is, I don't even know what those words mean. Mala means what? Brings up. Gera is what? How would you translate the word gera? Like, I know we translate it as cud. Is it really chewing the cud? I don't know. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really translate that way. Torah Shlema, Rabnachem Kasher, who does extensive work into everything, says that he has absolutely no problem with it. In the Miluim, on page 293 in his Torah Shlema, he says clearly there should be no difference between an animal that chews its cut on the inside, like a ruminant, a cow, a goat, a sheep, a deer, that does it in its stomach, regurgitates it into its mouth, and then swallows it back down, or an animal that gets it through its system, basically puts it out through the backside, and then eats it again in order to get those vitamins and minerals. Both are forms of chewing their cud. Just one comes from within and one comes from without. Says Ramanachim Kasher in the Torah Shlema, there should be no difference whatsoever if the point is to get more vitamins and more minerals into its system. So therefore, it could be that these rabbits or whatever they're doing could be part of this concept of Malagera. It's possible to be that way. Yeah, Brian? That's a sheer for another time. It is off topic. Why chewing the cut is going to be something important. We are going to get into that at some point. I gave it, I think, eight years ago, maybe. Something like that. But we'll get into it at some point later on as well. Das the Canaan and Pasachavav says there's another problem when it comes to all these animals. Technically, all animals have split hooves. You guys have split hooves. You have toes... And your feet are split, meaning technically it is split. What is the full definition of a split hoof? It has to be that they're completely separate from one another, where the the bones are completely separate from one another. Well, you do have that with your feet. The difference, says the Dasakanim, is that animals cannot walk on paws. They have to walk on the the front of their feet, so to speak, on their nails in order to be kosher. So by all the kosher animals, they're walking on a certain part, but they're not walking on the pad that's beneath their feet. If they're walking on a pad, then that's a problem. He says, like dogs do, right? Dogs have pads. They have split hooves, so to speak. In other words, they have split toes that go through, but they have a pad underneath them, and therefore it's not considered really split. Says the Dasakanim, that seems even stranger. If the Shafan and the Arneves are really the rabbit and the, the Hyrax, those animals do not have hooves. Those are not split hooves. Those are just feet that happen to have a pad on the bottom. There's something weird about what's going on here. Later on, we're going to see if we can answer any of these questions, but that's the idea of what we have over here. We have Arya Kaplan, Rav Hirsch, the Hertzchomish, the Torah Shlema, and Dasakanim. Now, why would the Torah use a masculine word to explain most of the animals, like a gamal and shafan, etc., and then a feminine word to use the word arnevis? So maybe you've heard this question before. The arnevis is an animal. Obviously, we translate that as a rabbit, and it seems to refer to male and female rabbits. Why is it a feminine term? For example, there are animals out there, the Barbanel says, there are certain animals that have a name that go by masculine and feminine. For example, par and para. Par is a bull. Para is a cow, right? We have that. We have, like, by a ram, you have an aisle, right? You have an, an aisle that goes all the way through, right? And you also have the female version. What's the female version for, called? Come on, you can do this. A sheep, female sheep. 
Uh, you, yes, I know, but like, yeah, no, so that's like the general category, right? You can have it. So it's technically kivsa or kisba, depending on the part of the chumash that you're talking about. So you have something out there. You'll have a word that refers to something like that. You have something like that. There are some animals that only have a male name, and that's that. For example, a gamal. There is no such thing as a gamala that doesn't exist. I mean, there is no Hebrew word for it. It's just gamal, right? And that's that. And there are others that are like the shafan. Shafan doesn't have a shafana. It just doesn't exist. They just always have a male word. It says the now there's a third category. Certain animals that only have a female name, and that's it. For example, the arneves or the chasida, which is probably a stork, and an anafa, which is another type of bird. Certain animals that are only feminine, and that's that. That's the idea. Now, the Ramban says exactly that. He says the idea behind the arneves and why it's got a feminine name is because certain animals just go by the female. They just have that female name, and that's it. That's the only reason. Meaning he's not giving anything deeper than that. Certain animals have masculine names, like, I would guess, the shore. Certain animals have another type of name that goes by the feminine, which is like the arneves. And certain animals are both. Like par and par, it'll have either one, depending if it's male or female, and it'll separate in there. Then Nitziv explains this idea. He says, when Adam Arishon gave names to every single one of the animals, he looked deep into the animal and he saw the purpose for what this animal was created for. Adam Arishon was able to do that. He looked deep into the animal and said, ah, I see the purpose of this animal. This animal is supposed to do X. And he named the animal after that purpose. So whatever, I I, I don't want to go through it. Like the elephant was named Peel. So whatever reason, the word peel represents the whole job of what the elephant is supposed to do in this world. I don't know what it is. It's something that has to do with that word peel itself. The shore, the bull, right, has something to do with its name shore. It's called a shore because that's what it represents. That's what it stands for. It says in its if, the Arneves, this rabbit, whatever it is, is well known. It's known as a feminine name because the female of this animal. The, not the male, but the female of this animal is the purpose of this animal. The purpose of the rabbit is not for the male rabbits. The purpose of the rabbit is for the female rabbits. So it was named after the feminine type, Arneves. It could have been Arnav. It could have been that way. But it was known, the Arneves, because the, femi- the female is the most important of this species. That's how the Nitziv says it over here. And there are other animals like this, like the Hasida, like the Anafa, like the Basiana, but not very many. Most animals, the most important one is the male, and therefore it's known as the male, like the Gamal or like the Shafan. Others, it might go by the female itself. So conversely, the Orachayim HaKadosh says, sometimes when it comes to Tuma, feminine Ninekeva is stronger in Tuma than the male. Now, this is getting a little bit beyond my, beyond my pay grade. And again, it's not 40 yet. It's still a year and a half, and I'm counting down the days. It's closer because space like now. But it's still there. It's not there yet. But somehow when it comes to Tuma, female is a little bit higher in Tuma than the male itself. Since this animal, says Orachim HaKadosh, is a Tame animal, it's known by the feminine name. I don't know why the Shafan and the Gamal, which are also tummy animals, are known by the male name. But he says, for whatever reason, there is an amount of Tuma that is by the rabbit, specifically by the rabbit, in which the female is stronger. That means the Tuma is stronger by this animal than it is by anything else. Again, I don't exactly know why, but that's the shot behind what it's supposed to be over here. And I don't get what the purpose is. The Orachim HaKadosh is not explaining it by any of the other animals, just this one. This animal is not kosher and that's that. In a more practical sense, Haksava Kabbalah, the Rebbe of, Mechels, of Mecklenburg, says the female of this species forces the male to be together with it. The female rabbit 
is more dominant than the male. So in other, we've been saying that in spiritual, spiritually it's something greater, that the job is something greater, that the Nitziv saw it that way. Kabbalah says it simply put, the female of the rabbits are stronger willed and more dominant than the male. So we named the animal, the Arneves, after the female and rather than after the male. That makes a lot of sense, that it's supposed to be the way. I don't know if it's like that way in nature. I have absolutely no clue, right? And there's certain things that I don't care about when it comes to animals. You guys know that I love animals, and I'm all into and I love going to zoos, and I'm going to be by every single, whatever. I learn as much as I can. I don't know about this part, though. That seems a little strange to me, but it's possible that the female is the more dominant when it comes to this. Ibn Ezra says normally the Torah mentions the masculine name and it includes the female, as we said before. And that makes sense because most of the Torah is written in masculine form since the people that were learning it were mostly men. That doesn't mean that there weren't women learning it, but there were mostly men involved, which makes sense that most of it is masculine form. But this animal was different, says Stephen Ezra, and listen to this. Because the female is more common and the male is hard to find. That's what he says. Now the Chizkuni says the same thing. (laughs) that it's hard to find. I don't know what he means by that. I have two ways of looking at this. Either number one, the female rabbits are more common, male rabbits are less common, and you just don't see them as often, or it's possible you can read the Ibn Ezra and the Chizkuni and say, there is no male version of this animal. They can't be found, that they're literally not there. Shari Aron learns the first way, that they're just hard to find. The males are hard to find. But it seems like there were others that learned the Chizkuni and the Menezra as saying that there was nothing to be found. There's no male animal found, which is strange. That means the Arneves was a creature that was only female. There were no male rabbits. There was nothing like that. Now, I'm sorry? So I think that would explain one thing for us. You know, some people say that the Arneves, maybe there was an animal back then that chewed its cud but didn't have split hooves that was known as an Arneves, and eventually it became extinct, and that's why we don't know what it is. Well, if there was only a female version of this animal, then obviously it became extinct. It probably mated with other animals of a different type, and eventually they became more like the dominant male, and eventually the Arneves, whatever the Arneves was, was gone. There were only females left, and that's that. Now, I, I, I can't tell you for sure, but maybe that's what the Ibn Ezra and the Chizkuni are saying, that there were only females around, there were no males around, and eventually it became gone. Now, the Paneach Raza, who's also a Rishon, takes it to a bigger extreme. Now, I can't fully understand this either. He says one month this animal is male, and one month this animal is female. It becomes male for a month, and then it becomes female for a month. Right? Very no Gaelamisa. The Razida Mayor, right? The Razida Mayor says that this drush comes from the fact that it says the word he in the Pusik. It says the word he, but it spells it hey vav aleph, who. It's in male, but we read it as he. So therefore, it is a male and female animal. The rabbit itself is a male and female animal, both all at once. That's how the Panayach Raza and the Razida Mayor says it. Also, Malas Geira is in feminine, but who seems to be like that. So it seems like it's switched off from one to the other. The Midrash Talpios quotes this, and he says, we know this to be true. I don't know it to be true. But the Midrash Talpios says, we know it to be true. The Midrash Talpios is not a Midrash. It was written by a Hasidic Rebbe about 150 years ago. But he says, we know that this is true when it comes to this. It seems very strange. The Satmar Rebbe says, the Eshar Neves is the gematria of Bechodesh Echad Zacher u Bechodesh Echad Nekeva. That one month the rabbit is male, one month the rabbit is female, a gematria. Now I will tell you, the gematria is off by 21. That's not bad, right? Give it off by 21. 
when you get up to the numbers of 1065, it's okay if you're off by 21. So I counted the letters of the Chodesh Echad, Zachar, or the Chodesh Echad, and the Keva, and it's 22 letters. So here's the real gematria. It's the Eshar Neves plus the Kolel, that's the added one, is the same gematria of Chodesh Echad, Zachar, or the Chodesh Echad, Nekeva, plus the letters. Everybody's good with that? Right. Satmar Rebbe said it. If you're, if you're only Satmar said it, I'm going with it, and I'm saying that is 100% true. But still, that's really hard to understand. Now, there is a Yalkut Ruveni that we've mentioned before in Shir that says that a person who has been together with a person of his or her gender will be misgalgal into a rabbit. That's going to be his gilgal into a rabbit itself. It's a Yalkut Ruveni. Medrash Chalbiyo suggests that that's, this is why. Because the rabbit is an animal that goes back and forth and back and forth, and that's the idea behind it. So that's a really interesting goal that goes through. Really, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to answer any question you're going to ask me on this. I'll be honest with you. This is. There's such a thing as a Give me a second when I say, yeah, I got something on that. Anyway, but that's that. Torah Tamima suggests this as well, and the Shach. So the Shach Torah also mentions this, which is really, really strange. Haksav Kabbalah gives an answer for all of this that may be able to understand it. It's very difficult to see the gender of a rabbit. Now, again, I have not searched, and I'm not, I'm, I don't have a pet rabbit, so I have absolutely no idea. But apparently it's very difficult to see the gender and to see if it's a male. That that part of the rabbit is sort of hidden beneath the fur, and when you look at most rabbits, they look female. It's almost as if there is no masculine part of the rabbit itself. So Aksava Kabbalah suggests that all of these Rishonim over here that are saying that the male is hard to find means that the male is hard to find because you can't really see it. When it says they switch off, it means sometimes it's able to be seen better than others. He tries to say it in a shot fashion to say this is not referring to something crazy that we're dealing with an animal that literally switches every single month, but rather it does like this. Jake, yeah. Which is correct. It's kind of hard to identify. Were you looking? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, guys, stop going. No, no phones for the rest of the year. Nobody is allowed to look up anything on a phone, okay? Yes. What? Why are you guys... All right, no, 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 no. We're not... No, no stories. I don't want any stories. No checking anything. No stories. Nothing, okay? We're leaving it as is. We're just saying it's true because Chazal say it's true. We're not saying like Google says it. So now, now I know the Torah is true. Okay, we're not. We're not going into this. Anyway, this seems clear. In my mind, it seems clear according to the Redak and the Moshe of Zikanim. It says, this is the wording of the Redak and the Moshe of Zikanim. Ki azokher shebehem lo yira zachruso. Again, these are Rishonim, 12th century or 13th century. The Zachar among them, you cannot see a Zachruso, the Azharim Kenekevus, and the males are like the females. I understand that a lot. That just means that it doesn't look like they are males, and therefore you call it the Arneves, because they all look like females. Every single rabbit looks like a female. Right? That would be the idea behind it, the idea, the, the concept behind this over here. The Rabbeinu Bechaya is very clear, though, that's not shy. says the Arneves is an androgynous, and androgynous is androgynous in English. I'm hoping that helps you. But that means it's a hermaphrodite, that it has both, both the male and female, idea, the genders. It's both all together. And the Rabbeinu Bechaya says they are able to be molded, though, and give birth. Normally, an androgynous does not have that ability. This did have the ability to do so. And maybe again, maybe that's what it means. That, that, that this is the idea. The Torah Shlema says it's very similar. It could be since they're so similar to one another, anatomically, you can't differentiate between the two. It's like it has both. That's how the Torah Shlema explains the Rabbin Bechaya. Now, the Ibn Ezra says, he gives another reason in the name of the Yesh Omrim. He just quotes it from a Yesh Omrim, that this type of animal switches 
similar to the Paneach Raza when it needs to do. Okay, so the Ibn Ezra says it as well, in the name of the Yesh Omrim, and that is the Paneach Raza as well. What's Pshat? So I know there are fish that have the ability to do that. For example, in my fish tank, I have two clownfish. In my saltwater tank, I have two clownfish. When I put the second clownfish in, one of them grew a little bit bigger and became the female. Meaning, clownfish don't have a gender that's assigned to them when they were first born, right? Rather, they create it as time goes on, depending on what's going on around it. Certain fish have that ability, and clownfish are like this. This is an ocellarious clownfish, if anybody's asking, right? That's what ended up happening. And it did that, and it laid eggs. It ended up laying eggs. There's no way to tell beforehand what it is. Maybe there is if you do, like, I guess if you'd, you'd go inside beforehand. But it's supposed to be that if you put two in a tank, one of them is going to become a female, and the other one is going to remain a male. That's usually what ends up happening. Yeah? Why didn't I what? I don't know. I've never tried it. Yeah, I hear you. I have no idea. I don't know. This, that is a question for somebody who owns a saltwater tank. You know, like somebody who owns like a saltwater store and just keeps doing it. I just have a tank. I'm happy with my tank. I'm good. I'm not like doing scientific science experiments by saying, you know, are you male now? <laughs> like, that's, again, that, that would be, I'd have, you know, there's therapists for stuff like that. So anyway, so regardless, that's the idea of what happens by those. There's also certain types of frogs that have that ability to switch over from one to the other, depending on what's needed, right, in the wild, if there are, there's a lesser or whatever it is. There's also something weird by kangaroos. I'm not so sure I fully understand this, but it seems that the female kangaroo can decide, I, I don't know how this happens, whether it's going to have a male or a female. Now, maybe somebody wants to look that up later, later, right, and see, right, but it seems like Female kangaroos, depending on what's needed in the season, can figure out what they're going to do and what they're going to have. They're going to be able to, so to speak, dictate depending on the climate and depending on whether or not it's a strange, strange thing. They can determine the gender of their offspring. And science does not know why, or at least the articles I was looking at do not know why. But we've had it for a while. Yeah. If all these animals have um, the same... um changes that a rabbit has, yeah. um, why aren't they called female and he's a... It might be that they would be if there was a specific word for a kangaroo. Unfortunately, they didn't have kangaroos in the Torah, so maybe it would be, right, if you had it. So I, I don't know. In English, doesn't. there's no masculine and feminine in English, so it wouldn't matter. But maybe it would be if it would go through. So at the end of the day, could there be... And again, this is a jump to say that a rabbit's able to change its gender at different times, right? To say that the kangaroo can decide what type of gender it's going to give birth to is weird but at least that's there. To say that it applies to a fish or a frog or something else like that is weird, but I guess to say that it applies to a rabbit where we don't see it by any mammals, it's a jump. It's, it's, it's a big jump. It's a really, really big, big jump. I'd rather go with Aksaba Kabbalah, with those ideas in which it's impossible to find the male, and that's it. And when it means it switches off, it just means it's hard to tell. Certain times of the month, it's easier to tell as a male. Certain times of the month, it's easier to, it looks like it's a female. I think that that's the shot behind these reasons shown him, but maybe there's something deeper behind it in the concept of what the Arnevis is, and we're going to have to see a little bit further. Maybe there's an idea midrashically to understand why this is true by the Arnevis. Yeah, Jake. Uh, just looking at headlines in Google, it's 
No, I'm not letting you know. In Megillah Daptes, it says that King Ptolemy gathered 72 Zikanim and had them separate into different rooms in order to translate the Torah into Greek. He wanted to translate it into Greek. He wanted them all to figure it out. We know that there were 18, possibly more, corrections, so to speak, that they made in the Torah so that Ptolemy wouldn't be confused, so there wouldn't be problems when they gave it over to him, right? And that eventually became the King James Bible, the Septuagint, which was the source of the King James Bible. Those mistakes are in the King James Bible even today. They still exist within there. One of those corrections was the Arnevis. The Arnevis in this week's partial was changed to the word Tsiiras Raglayim, the shortened-legged creature, because the wife of Ptolemy's name was Arnevis. I don't know if it was actually Arnevis or it was the translation of whatever rabbit was. She was named Rabbit. I don't know what, which one it was, but either way, they thought that they would, he would get angry that her name was inside there being that every other non-kosher animal is in Gamal, Shafan, Chazir, and this one is female, and it was Arneves, so they switched it to the word Seiras Raglaim instead. That's how the Poros Yosef explains the Gemara. Makes a lot of sense. Rashi says, why Seiras Raglaim? Think about that for a second. Short legs? If you were describing a rabbit, would you describe short legs? Is that what you would say? No, you would describe short arms, long legs. That's the wrong wording for it. It's the wrong thing to say, right? You wouldn't say it that way. So what's the shot? Says Rashi, it has very short arms, forearms, and longer back legs, right? And that's it. And he doesn't say anything else. Short forearms. I guess you could say Sirius Raglayim is two of its legs, because it's got four legs. Two of its legs are very short. But it's a strange Rashi, a really strange Rashi. Tom Vidas, that's where Sturmbach says, it also has shorter legs. It could have longer legs in the back, but it has shorter legs, you know, for its body. I don't know how that's true. Rabbits have really long legs. They're big. They're really big. Yeah. What if the Arnevis is the kangaroo? Uh, give me a, you know, I brought that up to three different people. I said that the Arnevis is the kangaroo. I said it over and it happens to be pretty awesome because we all look at it and we all look at it and we say like, wait, no, it's a rabbit. It's a kangaroo. Okay, I know a kangaroo is marsupial that lives in Australia. Doesn't a kangaroo look like a massive rabbit? Doesn't it? Just like a rabbit who's standing on its front. If you would take your pet rabbit over there, right, and stand it up on its two legs, right, wouldn't you say like, oh my gosh, let's put a pouch on it. Just take a little pouch and put it on it. Wouldn't you be like, oh my gosh, that's a furry kangaroo. Now, granted, I know there are differences. There are major differences. There are major differences in its anatomy and its makeup and there's different how it eats and the different teeth and whatever and what it does, etc. But nonetheless, I'm not convinced that it's not. It's a really good call. You know what's even cooler about that? Kangaroos seem to chew their cud. It does seem to have something that chews its cud. You guys can all look this up later. What exactly it does is a question. It might be something called Marycism, but there is something that kangaroos do that's really, really close. Now, again, I said in the beginning, I said in the very beginning, I'm not getting into what I think. So we're not getting into what I think, but... I'm not talking about that. Anyway, the Ben Yoyada, the Ben Ishchai says that Ptolemy's wife had really weird little arms like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. She had long legs and really short arms. So here was the problem. They were going to call the rabbit the short-armed animal. They didn't want to call it Arneves because she was called Arneves, probably because when she was born she had really short arms and they nicknamed her Rabbit because she must have looked like a rabbit when she was born. I think, or else it's just a weird nickname that happened to be coincidental. So she was called Arnevis. So they couldn't call it Arnevis because that was her name. They couldn't call it short-armed because that's what she was. So then it would for sure refer to her. So they call it short-legged, says the Ben Ishchai, 
even though it really is long legs, so they wouldn't know that it's talking about the rabbit. That is a pure Ben Ishai. Only a Sephardi can say that shot because he can't imagine anybody else saying it. It's like the craziest thing ever. Torah Tamima says he has another gear. So it doesn't say Si'iras Raglayim, short legs. It says Si'iras Raglayim, the hairy-legged one. Si'iras Raglayim. That makes a lot more sense, right? All rabbits are hairy-legged. I think that makes a lot of sense. I get why they would do that. I assuming believe that Ptolemy's wife didn't have hairy legs. So instead of calling it Arneves, which was her name, they called it hairy-legged. And they weren't worried about that referring to her, and then it was all good, and everything was there. Yom Shalom, as a timeout says, you just be careful with this. And Bava Kama Park Dalit Siptas, he says, you have to be very careful. You're not allowed to change the Torah. When they were changing the Torah, all they were doing was putting something in that explained it in pshat, so that Ptolemy wouldn't be confused. But you're not allowed to just change a word because you're afraid of being killed. If somebody tells you, change this word or I'll kill you, you have to be killed rather than change the word. What they were doing was something totally different based on what they had in Ruach HaKadosh, and HaKadosh Baruch was masking to it because they all did the exact same thing, and it was all just basically putting it in pshat so that Ptolemy would be confused rather than changing something about the Torah itself. So that's just important to be able to go through. I'm not going to go into the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar explains that medrash that says that the Arnevis is referring to one of the countries referring to Yavan. He says an unbelievable shot in that medrash. You can look it up right over here. There's a tremendous Kliyakar. It's a long Kliyakar as well. It takes up most of this page, as well as the Vilnagon. Tremendous Vilnagon as well. Quite often, we see people making judgment calls on other people without really knowing what that person, where that person's coming from or what he does or anything like that. You just see people making judgment calls, you know? We do it all the time. We see people on the street and we immediately judge whether this person is safe or not. Is this person that I'd like to be, you know, is this a person that I can do business with or is this a person that I can't do business with? What's this kid like? It's a judgment call right there, right there without anything else. Now, there, some people make conclusions and they make automatic conclusions. They say, that guy is an apicorus. That guy is a kofer. That guy just is not going to be a good guy. Tzor Lateva and the Mayana Shel Torah both say that if you notice, there are three Lishonos used when referring to these three animals, the camel, the, uh, the Shafan, and the Arnevis. The camel says the words, when it says that it doesn't have split hooves, it says the word, Enenu Mafris. Mafris. Okay? Sort of like present tense. By the, the Shafan, that's by the camel. By the Shafan, it says, Parsa Lo Yafris, with a Yud in front, that's future tense. And by the Arneves, it says Parsa Lohifrisa, which is past tense. Present, then future, then past. For the camel, for the shafan, for the Arneves. Says the Mayanashkoto and the Tzor Lateva, the idea is like this. In order to declare that someone is Tame, to say Tamehu Lachem, you have to look at his past, his present, and his future. You can't just look at him right now. You can't just look at what he's done in the past. You can't just look at what he's done in the future. Look at everything about this guy. Look at what his past is, look at what his present is, and look at his possible future. And if all three are tummy, then that's tummy for you. Then you can say, all right, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. But if there's a possibility he's had a past that's good, or he has a future that looks possible, then you cannot automatically be metamium and say, no, you're out. You're completely out. You're not allowed to do such a thing. You have to make, you have to be able to first, don't make a judgment call right off the bat, decide what's the best thing in that way. And then comes the Meshachachma. Yeah, Mati. Wouldn't present and future be good enough in that situation? Sometimes. Maybe he has a really hard past. And the hard past led him to the present that he stays. So his future is only set because he's had the past that he had. Perhaps that guy does deserve something. For example, a Holocaust survivor. 
right? Can the guy be looked at in a better light? Because look, he went through that. Maybe that's the reason why. Just giving that as an example. Mesha Chochma says the most unbelievable Gemara in the world. Gemara Bechoros Davzayin. If a camel is born from a cow, camel is born from a cow, it's Tameh. But if the camel has one simon, like it's mother the cow, okay? Again, that just means, obviously, male camel, female cow. I know it's impossible, but let's just say. And the child is born, and it's a camel. But if there's one thing that looks like the cow, one thing, even if it's just got coloring or something like that, then it's tahor. Hear that? Now, if the female is tame, the female is something tame, like a camel female gives birth to a cow, okay? Anything from a female is automatically tame. Even if it's a kosher animal that's born from the camel, anything from a female tame animal is automatically tame. Listen to this meshachachma. The wording makes a lot of sense now. By the Shafan, it says Parsaloyafris. You know why? Says the Meshachachma, the Shafan and the Arneves are the same animal. One is the male, one is the female. Shafan is the male, Arneves is the female. If it's a male Shafan that's together with a female tame, of a female kosher animal, let's just say a Shafan with a cow, and the animal that's born looks like a Shafan, then here's the deal. If it doesn't have split hooves, it's not like the mother. So then for it's tame. If it does have split hooves, then it's like the mother. Then it's kosher. Because it came from a mother that was a cow. It might look like a shafan, but it's really a cow in disguise. Because it's got split hooves. So says the Pasuk, parsa lo yafris. As long as it doesn't have split hooves, it's tame. But if it has split hooves, then it's tahor. If it came from a mother cow and it has split hooves, it's possible to be tar. But what if it's an Arneves? The female is Tame. Any child of the Arneves is automatically going to be Tame. Even if it's a cow. Even if a cow is born from a shuf, uh, from an Arneves, it's impossible for it ever to be kosher. Therefore, it says, Uparsa Louis Frisa. It's automatically not kosher. It's never going to be, even if it doesn't have, if it does have split hooves, it won't make a difference whatsoever. It says the Meshachachma, it's automatically Tameh. You can't get anything for it. Dave, give me a second over here. The Malvim says there's also a practical difference. Camels technically have split hooves. If you look at the camel structure of its, of its hoof, it's technically split hooves. It's 100%. It doesn't, it chews its cud and it has split hooves. So why is a camel not kosher. On the bottom of a camel's foot, there is a massive pad, and it's a really thick pad. That thick pad that covers up its hooves, it walks on that pad. And because it walks on the pad, even though it was, it's split. You can look at it. It's like that, and there's a little split there, and there's a little split there. It mamish is split. It's a kosher animal. But the pad combines everything together and makes a tummy. So therefore, the wording that's used for it is lom enena mafris. It's close. It's not low mafris. It's not not split. It is split. But a nana mafris, we don't count that as being split. Because even though it's split, it's put back together with that. The shafan is different. The shafan does have split hooves in the back. It's back hooves. It doesn't really have hooves. It has like toes. It's back toes are split. But the front toes are not split. So therefore it says low yafris. It's like on the way, it's close to doing it. If only it would have continued, it would be kosher. But it didn't continue. That's why it's in future tense. Therefore, says the Malbim, it's not kosher. Then comes the Arnevis. The Arnevis is not even close. The back feet are bad. The front feet are bad. The whole thing is bad. So, low hifrisa. Not at all, says the Malbim. That's the shot. Now, I have five minutes to do this. I'm going to do it really, really quickly. 
I didn't get to the Meashiloch, which was my whole point in the whole shir, that the Arnevis is the bad Mida, and what the Arnevis stands for, what the Arnevis represents is brazenness, that when you use it for brazenness, if you use that, then you could probably understand what I meant before, right, by the ideas of changing, etc., going from one to the other, the idea of what the rabbit stands for, that he wants to do whatever he wants, no matter what Hashem says. That is the idea of what the rabbit stands for, the Mida of the rabbit says the Meashi Loch. And if you understand that, then I think it's like Bilam, so to speak. The idea of Bilam, that chisaron that's in the rabbit explains the idea of what we were saying before in the Rishonim, I think in some way. There's an English book out there that's called Zeha Devor by a rabbi, Pinchas Presworski. I found this, I gave this guy money. I gave this guy money. He was selling Svarim. And he had a book with a lot of pictures in it. So I was like, oh, I'll check out this book. And I bought this book with a bunch of pictures in it for my kids. I took it home. And he had, when he wrote down, he wrote Gamal, he wrote Camel, he wrote a dromedary camel. Everybody knows a dromedary camel is the one-humped camel. He put Shafan, by Shafan, he put a llama. A llama. And I was like, what? And then by Arneves, he had a picture of a Bactrian camel, a two-humped camel. So I'm like, what is this guy, an idiot? Like, who in the world thinks that two-humped camel is an Arneves? Everybody knows an Arneves is a rabbit, Right? And then I was sitting there, and I'm like, I don't understand. So I turned to the back, and he has all these notes in it. And I started looking at it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy is an absolute genius. I don't know why nobody has ever figured this out, but it's absolutely brilliant. There are major problems with the Arneves being a rabbit and the Shafan being a Hyrax, right? Major issues, because they don't have split hooves, and they don't really chew their cud. So you're running into major issues with both of them, because they don't have hooves in the first place to be split, and they don't really chew their cud. So you've got something majorly wrong with saying it's a Shafan or Arneves. You've got to go around, no, this is also chewing. That's what you got to do. There's only one real animal, one family out there that chews its cud and doesn't have split hooves, and it's the camel family. Now, the camel family has two direct species, the dromedary and the bactrian, the one-humped and the two-humped camel. There's also four that are found in South America, the llama, the alpaca, the vicuno, and the, guana, uh, the vicuna, and the guanaco. The vicuna and the guanaco are the wild versions of the llama and the alpaca. The llama and alpaca were domesticated, but the vicuna and the guanaco are the wild versions. Guess where they live? They live on rocks. They live on rocks. All of them have the exact same thing. They have split hooves, but they've got a massive pad on the bottom of them that allows them to be considered there. All of them chew their cud. Every single one of them chew their cud. Now, I would put all the llamas, vicunas, guanacos, alpacas in the same category because basically they are all, they're able to mate with each other. They're all in the same category. Dromedaries and backstring camels, I can tell. They're totally different from one another. It's a one-humped and a two-humped camel. He says the following... And it's brilliant. I suggest you look at the book, Zeha Davor, find this book and go through. He says the following. He says the Egyptians knew about both types of camels. They knew about the one-humped and the two-humped camels. Both of them existed in their time. They didn't use the Bactrian camels because the Bactrian camels, they were mostly from Asia, but they weren't good for the desert areas where the Egyptians lived. They used the dromedary camels instead, but they knew about them. They just weren't there at the time. Okay? There were animals that they knew about in the past, Right? but they didn't know further on. The dromedaries, they knew at all times. That was something that was famous to all of them. In the present, that was all around them at all times. The llama, the vicuna, the alpaca, and the guanacos were not going to be known by them until the future. Now do you get it, guys? Now do you get it? He says the wording of mafris, of the present, is referring to a dromedary camel, which was the animal they had at the time. Yafris, which is the shafan, refers to the llamas, which they would only know about in the future. When you see it, you'll see that its hooves are not split. And the Arneves, which is the Bactrian, is in past tense because this is an animal that you knew about, but you haven't seen in a very, very long time. 
And that's why it says by all three of them. And they're all the same category. It's an animal that chews its cud but doesn't have split hooves. It's all in the same family. And they're all referring to these animals right over here. But he goes on. He says, well, we got a problem, right? You have the Arneves that's mentioned. I'm not worried about modern-day Hebrew when people look at Arneves and they think like rabbit. Okay, good. It also means a rabbit. It doesn't make a difference to me. What was the Arneves in the Torah? It could have been this. He says, what about the Gemara with Ptolemy? Ptolemy's wife was called Arneves, right? And Rashi says, Tzirah Raglayim, it's the short-legged one. Now it makes a lot of sense. We keep thinking to ourselves, like, what does it mean, short legs? Rabbits have long legs, right? They have short arms, but they have long legs. So what does that mean? Out of the two camels, the dromedary and the Bactrian camel, the one-humped and the two-humped camel, the Gamal versus the Arneves, the Arneves has shorter legs than the other dromedary camel. The Arneves is the Tziras Raglaim of the camels. It's the shorter-legged version of the camel. That's what it refers to. Again, when we say the Shafan hides on rocks, that's what, la- not llamas because they're too big, but the Vikunas and Guanacos do. They're up there. That does explain the Pusik in Mishle and the Pusik that's there in, what's it called, in Kuvdalid by Borchinashi. That's the idea behind it. And this shows the most fascinating thing about the Torah itself, that it's talking about animals that there is no way anybody human could have known about. No way. There's no way. And the most amazing thing in the world, it's talking about the only animals in the world that have this, that fully chew their cud like a ruminant, like a ruminant, like a cow, like a goat, like a sheep. Camels chew their cud exactly the same way, and it also has split hooves but are covered, so it's not considered split hooves. It's referring to those three animals, and there are no other animals in the world that are like that. That is by far the most amazing thing in the world. I don't know if it's true. I have absolutely no idea. But to me, this is my number one answer of all time. Well, I have my own answer. But it's my number two answer of all time that goes through. We'll stop with that, guys. We have to dive in Mars.